Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman, Hi, everybody, our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. Back from India. Back from India. We'll talk about that in a bit. And this is where we go over your cycling and triathlon related questions. Uh, you can submit them to us at trainerroadcom slash podcast. And we will go over them. One quick thing before we go any further, we have a pretty exciting event going on this weekend. It's going to be the first time this podcast is actually going to be live. And it's going to be live in person, not just live on the internet, but, but both. Yeah, exactly. In San Francisco at the Rafa Cycle Club this Saturday, November 4th. So that should be coming up in a couple of days from when this is released. Uh, if you haven't found the RSVP link or anything else, you can see it on our Facebook page. Just go to trainerroad.com or Facebook and look for Trainer Road. You'll find it there. Uh, you can RSVP there. Uh, so far, it looks like we're going to have, I think, a somewhat packed house. So it's a, it's not a massive venue. So, but please come. Uh, thousands? <laughs> tens, actually. Yeah. <laughs> of thousands. <laughs> tens. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can join us there. It's it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, Rafa has, we're there. it's an awesome venue if you've ever been there, but we've worked together. We've got like, uh, it's a, basically like a, a really good food truck in the area that makes mini burritos. What? Yeah. They're going to have mini burritos for us. They have a cafe right there in the shop too. So if you've ever been there, it's, it's a, it's a really cool spot. The, the weather, it will be rainy. So we adjusted the route. If it changes and it's wonderfully sunny, then we'll go back to the old one, but we've adjusted the route. It's going to be just, uh, it's probably going to be a ride up to the Marin headland. So it's like a 19, 20 mile ride from the, from the clubhouse, just across the bridge and back. I don't have a rain jacket. Mm. Well, I think that we're going to a place that sells them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A San Francisco Rafa shop better have a rain jacket. And that's for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and also it's 2017. Yes. 2017. Correct. Yeah. Because some people will be listening to this and maybe show up there yeah. next year. Right. Uh, we're excited for it. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you can't make it for that, if you're not in the area, you can also tune into the live stream and you can check that out. It's going to be on our Facebook page or at blog.trainerroad.com. And we'll be live streaming this thing with video. Uh, so you'll be able to see us and, and hear the whole thing. Chad, you won't be with us though. I will not. I'm sad to say. Very sad. Unfortunately, I'm taking your book. You're going to get it signed by Matt Fitzgerald. I, didn't, Matt Fitzgerald. I don't even think we mentioned that. Matt's the special oh, guest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Very in the lead that. there. Yeah, yeah. Matt's the special guest. And Matt is uh, Matt Fitzgerald. He wrote How Bad Do You Want It? It's one of the books that we've mentioned regularly on the podcast. It goes into the psychology of endurance sports performance. He's a sports science researcher and author. He's written plenty of other books, uh, but we're going to stay focused on that topic, on how to use the brain, the mind grapes to get more out of yourself on the bike. So it's going to be exciting. The stuff. mind grapes? The mind grapes. Yep. <laughs> it's the technical term. So uh, with that, hope to see you guys this weekend or have you join us via the internet and, but Nate, let's talk about your trip really quick. Yeah. So not it really doesn't have anything to do with where I went, but like how I did it. Cause I was trying to train while I was over there. Exactly. Right. I brought shoes, uh, P1 pedals, a fan, the Vernado fan, which I really like. It's kind of a disaster. So here's my first <laughs> takeaway before last time I recommended the P1s. Yeah. I'm taking that recommendation away only for one fact is you cannot get them on and off a bike with um, a pedal wrench. You have to use an Allen wrench. Mm. Like it's mm. it's a very, you know how some pedals do that, Expedos do it too? Yep. There's kind of a smooth rounded edge right there. Yep. Um, the vectors, I haven't, you know what? I haven't even looked at the vectors. You can actually do that. I think that, yeah, I think the vectors, I'm not sure if you can use it on the new spindle or anything else, but I do know that you can use it on um, the previous generation vectors. You could use a pedal wrench. Yeah, so handy. basically, if you want to have a pedal-based power meter system for gym bikes, 
you have to have the ability to get it on and off with a pedal wrench. Now, is that because the crank arms have a solid back so that you couldn't put uh, an Allen wrench through it? Is that why you couldn't use an Allen key? Yep, the, uh, mm. not, not the crank arms, but the, um, uh, the actual bike. Like there wasn't enough room to, it was a life fitness bike. Oh, to fit a wrench in there. Yep. Which is uh, behind the crank set. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I tried really hard, and I tried to bend the plastic, and it just couldn't happen. I'm looking online; the vectors look like you can do that. That was the first mistake. Second mistake is uh, my fan broke during transit. Oh no! Yeah, so in the middle of it, I it ran for about ten minutes during my workout, and then died and smelled like burning. So you did a bit of heat training, <laughs> then. Like yeah. So actually, that's what I. That's exactly what I did, and I. Uh, I didn't have pedals. I didn't have heart rate. I had a big time change. I was tired. So I was like, well, I'm going to do, you know, get my sweat on, not too hard, and Mm -hmm. do like pretty much fat burning, heat adaption. I thought I can get up in the morning, do this before I do anything, do it, you know, in a semi-fasted steak because I'd eaten from the night before. Um, I did that once, and then I kind of, we had late nights, and (laughs) (laughs) my whole plan went out the window. That was the extent of it? Yeah, I did it once in 10 days, so. Rough trip. Now we can... And I got the fully recovered, the deli belly. Oh, mm. so no. with that though, how does that change things? Cause you said, I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of not training yeah, and so then you've, you're also sick. It's a good question for coach Chad, hmm. Chad. I treated myself horrible for the last 10 days with diet, uh, diet, sleep, time zone change, all sorts of different types of stress. Deli belly. Yeah. I had peak fitness coming into this, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. Eh, I mean, it's, it's okay. good. But uh, now, how should I, like, I'm, I'm kind of questioning first workout back. I think if I, I was in the high, uh, high volume cross plan, if I did how to do one of those workouts today. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm already <laughs> mentally thinking that I can't do it, which is like, Matt will tell me, yeah. is really in a bad spot. <laughs> right. But what should I, how should I ease back into it? Part of me is like, maybe I should just start on base now for next year, but I also kind of maybe want to no, race. I don't, I don't think you need to backtrack that far. And you know, I know what your training or your uh, racing schedule is. I know that you're about two months out from cross nationals, mm-hmm. which is just enough time to do a specialty plan. And it actually leaves you with a, a pretty flexible week, which is this week right now. And I would just use that to kind of get back into the swing of things. And I think sweet spot base two, um, some of the earlier weeks in that, that, that mix up the shorter VO two max intervals and then some steady state work just to kind of build you back up both psychologically and physiologically because you won't have seen a big decrement in any of your fitness up your higher end stuff which isn't really all that important just now Mm -hmm. endurance might have slipped a little bit but it's something you can't get back on top of pretty quickly so just kind of cherry pick the workouts yeah or just choose one of those weeks whichever week uh, i think like uh probably week two or three would be a good fit do you guys ever uh after i do this i'm like so motivated when i get back to eat healthy do you guys do that like after yeah, you yeah. just feel like you want to cleanse the system a bit, yeah. right? Of, of just all the, the bad food. Yeah, I totally. like brand cereal, berries, and a sweet potato for breakfast. <laughs> I just don't eat for a day. Yeah. <laughs> just Clean the purge. pipes. <laughs> <laughs> full purging. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm on that full purging thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not by, by choice. choice. <laughs> <a> different man. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's deli belly for you. Uh, let's get into Chris's question. Um I'm planning my third Everesting attempt. Have I ever told you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, John. (laughs) Yeah. He says, uh, one fail and one success so far. I will need gearing similar to what you use for Mount Ikea, and I'm wondering how you fitted a 26-tooth chainring on a road bike. Everything I have found is for a mountain bike with a much wider bottom bracket and spindle. And he says, by the way, I just started training road and is changing everything. Very excited to see where I am at, where I'm at in a few months as I can already feel some serious adaptation. Wish I had started this a long time ago. 
Uh, so we actually didn't put them on road bikes. We put them on mountain bikes, or sorry, cross, cross bikes. bikes. And uh, we use the, the big thing though, that in certain situations, you may need to change a crank, but this is the differentiating factor. We're using SRAM cranks. SRAM cranks have a removable spider in most cases, not all cases. Like if you have a cork, for example, can't remove that spider because that's where the power meter is. But in many cases, they have a removable spider on those cranks. It's like, I think, uh, four or three hex bolts on the backside of that spider. It pulls right off, and then you can run a direct mount chainring. So in this case, it's a chainring and a spider all in one piece. It just slides right over the spindle. You bolt that on, and you can run all the way down. I mean, if uh, somebody made it, you could run probably like a a 14 tooth chain ring if you wanted, uh, not sure why you'd want to, but it would be possible. So that's what we ran in our case. And you can usually put those type of cranks. Like if you see, um, SRAM force cranks, if you see ones that are, if you buy the new SRAM, like quark ready cranks, I know those are coming on a lot of bikes. You can put a quark on there, or if you don't, for some reason, you're putting some other power meter on, you can run a spiderless, uh, chain ring on there. Uh, as well. So that's a benefit of SRAM cranks and other cranks, uh, you know, for Easton, for example, I think you can run spiderless chain rings on that as well. So that's the pro tip. It's not necessarily about the width or anything else. It's just about being spiderless or not. So that should cover. I learned something today. There we are. Lori says, hi, I've recently started using train road to get back into structured training following a break due to injury. Hopefully you're getting better, Lori. It is revel it is a revelation, so thank you guys. I'm currently midway through the mid-volume base one training phase, and I'm training for train or for TTs next year. So I'll be following the base phase with sustained power build and specialty um, the TT phase. So that's our 40k TT plan. I'm wanting to take my training up a notch and have read a lot about the benefits of strength training and listened to episode seven of your podcast. And we actually just mentioned this and have things uh, set up on our blog with video and everything else uh, for you to see on, on these strength training workouts that you can check out. My question is, would it be more beneficial to incorporate two or three strength training sessions a week, or would it be better to use this time to swap from the mid volume plans onto the high volume plans? Keep up the good work. All the best from Lori. Yeah, Lori, that is the question. So it's really a, a matter of prioritization. And <clears throat> it's, it comes with an understanding that we are endurance athletes. We're not strength athletes. So we're chasing endurance improvement, and that comes metabolically. It doesn't usually come via strength. Uh, it's not to say there aren't uh, benefits to be had from strength training, simply that if you're going to devote time and if your time is limited, it's probably best spent focusing on being an, a better endurance athlete, not a better strength athlete. Mm. Um, there are studies out there to support you know, certain benefits, uh, improvements in cycling economy, following heavy lifting, which is a particular type of strength training. We're not just talking about getting in there and throwing something around for 15 or 20 reps and expecting to be a better bike rider as a consequence. So you have to train very specifically. The gains you get, again, are, are limited in nature as compared to if you were to spend that time, you know, cultivating greater stamina. And that's always the question on forums is someone will throw that study out, like you increase cycling economy, sure. yeah. but if you did an extra five hours a week, mm -hmm on a high volume plan, I'd argue that you'll be faster right. doing exactly. that. Right, exactly. And and you have to also consider the the recovery from those strength training uh, sessions. You know, do they take you a while to get back on the bike? When you do get back on the bike, are you a bit deflated? So it's not just the time you're spending in the gym that you could be spending on the bike, but there are also after effects of the resistance training. Yeah, I, I talked to, I called up Keegan Swenson on this one because he last year incorporated strength training and trainer road. Uh, so you be the judge here on this one, but he incorporated those two things, but 
I was talking to him and asking him how he started incorporating it. He started in the very beginning when he started his base training for the year. And he said that he was light on the bike at first in terms of like the normal volume he would have. And he simply looked at it as I need to, I'm going to start strength training. I plan to continue this. This is a key. He continued it throughout the whole, the whole year. Mm -hmm. But he basically said, it's going to put like foreign stress on my body at first. I need to be able to allow for that. So he started in the time with low consequence, which was in the beginning of the year. And then he maintained that. However, he's not in the gym for, you know, six hours a day. In fact, a lot of the time it's 20 minutes, it's 30 minutes. It's something short and it's, and it's something that's, um, it's actually all prescribed out to him and everything else. I think that, and he said that he noticed benefits in, he said anything beyond like his two minute power, one minute power said he didn't notice a whole lot, but he said that he had a snap this year that he didn't have the previous year Mm -hmm. and keep in mind the type of racing he's doing though. This isn't TTs. Yeah. It's, it's quite physical stuff. Yeah. So having a stronger body and in general, stronger body can make you a better bike racer, better mountain biker, better cross racer, not so much a better TT rider, unless for whatever reason, it helps you maintain a stabler position on the bike, you know, and you're less fidgety in in the wind. Or you couldn't stay in your TT bars. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, uh, people I'm sure are listening to this and, and screaming right now. I just want to say this is that's an anecdotal thing. Totally. Just because 100%. Keegan said it, there was 100%. no, like he said he had snap, but he might've thought he had more snap because he lifted and, weights. And there's also right? a question yeah. of him being a very high level athlete who maybe is topped out potential his, at his potential. So, so maybe mm-hmm. these minimal gains that he gets from other things, and it's not necessarily strength training. It could have been something else that, you know, happened coincidentally. Yeah. Yeah. The other lifestyle is different too, right? Totally. He can mm-hmm. take more stress. So maybe he, uh, like he can just sit around the rest of the day. He got he he got a new house this year, and you know maybe that house is closer to where he needs to be training, and maybe he's relaxing more, right? Like, well, yeah, but so many I, different things. I just mean like changing. a common person who's trying yeah. to do both. It's hard because of all the extra stuff. Well, as a, as a common person, a more common person, I'm I'm planning on bringing a lot of this in in terms of strength training, not to increase my you know my my. 15 second power, anything else like that, but just to get myself to a spot where I can avoid these overuse injuries. Um, oh yeah. in your lower body. Yeah. Because that's a- probably the strongest case for strength training mm. is injury prevention. So whether it's on the bike or off the bike, you know, yeah. having a stronger body does typically lend itself to less injury. Have you right. told, have you mentioned that your injury is back? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that we have directly on the podcast, mm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's back and I'm managing it right now, but I wouldn't say that I am actually defeating it or getting rid of it. Yeah. So, um, and it's, and I'm sure people are, or it's just overuse injury with the knee ITB stuff and, and pain, and then basically misalignment issues with my knee uh, that stem from that. So, uh, you're working with a couple doctors to try to fix it. Yeah. I've gone through a lot of MRIs, gone through everything else. And I'm working with a strength training coach, actually the same one that coaches Keegan right now. Um, he basically salivated it. He was like, I, I want to fix this guy, you know, like it's a good opportunity. So, uh, because he knows that I've, I've dealt with it consistently. So I'm going to be using this in the same type of format though. I'm just starting out. I actually chose to drop cross, uh, which is a bummer because nationals is here in Reno. Yeah. Uh, it'd be fun to do, but I've actually chosen, I might still do like one of the non-sanctioned races when it's there. I don't know. We'll see, but it's not a priority. My priority is getting healthy. And, and getting to the point where I feel like, um, I'm more stable on the bike and I'm able to, to avoid those overuse injuries. There's a 30 minute industry race. So you should do that one. Yeah, that could be 30 minutes. You can take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I have a different, well, so one problem I have with strength training when I was strength training with my, uh, strength is I'm mountain biking, definitely getting low. My upper body gets tired. Uh, I have a skinny upper body and 
the other thing is like I don't like how I look upper body. Like I'm very, you know, you get I'm lanky. You want right? to be bigger. I'm yeah. lanky. I've always been lanky. I used to be bigger in college. Now I'm lanky. I've been I've been playing in this notion in my mind about doing upper body weightlifting with a trainer road plan and the upper body just for mainly looks, <laughs> but <laughs> also honest. like yeah. even just like I can notice picking up my kids. I'm like, whoa, yeah, they're exactly. getting bigger, yeah, just, but just general, just general functional, life. useful strength. And on mountain biking, my safety side of my brain is I definitely get in the wrong position because I get so tired on right. long descents. Um, so yeah. I was I was thinking. If I mention it too, I have to do it. So I should just mention it. I'd like to see if I can gain weight and raise my FTP at the same time. But gain- So but, basically keep your strength to weight at a, a constant. At like a four watt. Yeah, I was going to wait until I hit four watts and I'm at like 3.85 at least before my trip. So maybe like another six weeks. So regardless of what you add in terms of weight because of muscle gain, lean mass gain, you want your threshold to, to compensate. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that'll make me, as we know- on the hills, I'll climb just as fast, but on TTs, which we're going to do, sure. and on flat stuff and, or rollers, I'll be able to be really strong. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. yeah, you will. And and honestly, too, so, I mean, if you were a pro cyclist, you would probably be going, no, I'm not going to touch any weights. But, and, you know, a lot of us listening to this podcast, we, we lead a very typical life and there are other demands and everything else. And it would suck pretty bad to throw your back out lifting up your kids or something, you know, yeah, because you're, you're sacrificing that so that you can get everything out of it on the bike, know, but that's yeah. not paying the bills. I want to save three pounds as I climb. So yeah, exactly. I'm going to try it, but it's interesting, right? Cause I think a lot of people are like that who are in the, maybe they're not going to nationals, but they want to be fast, mm -hmm. but you just, you know, look good upper body too. Uh, yep. Triathletes, that's like enough upper body mass for me. Totally. The, yeah. They're strong. I mean, even Chad and I have talked about this before, and I think we've all seen the videos here, but Nino Scherter's stuff that he does, the no shortcut series that he had going on mm -hmm. last year, I believe. He does an immense amount of work uh, in terms of like full body work. We're not talking just, you know, He's an extremely work. fit guy, really well-rounded. Yeah. Wow. And, and I think that it's needed when you're talking about performing at that level in terms of power output and then being able to manage his and handle his bike to the degree he does. I noticed this year, especially he seemed, and this is just the eye test, right? So I have no clue, but he seemed to look stronger, maybe even in the upper body than the previous years. And I felt like he had to push it less on the descents than any other year that I saw. Like he seemed more composed. Mm -hmm. Who knows what changes he made in equipment or, or bike? Who, I'm sure there are other things, but I know personally that when I am maintaining, when I'm trying to maintain some strength in my upper body, I ride my mountain bike better in yeah. terms of managing it in uphill technical terrain. The only spot where it's not helping me really, you know, is when you're just talking about power output going up a hill, but Fire road. yeah, so much of it is technical. And I noticed that I can use, um, I get, I, I feel more efficient when I'm moving through that difficult uphill terrain. I'm much more, I feel more efficient on the bike. So, so Chad, let's talk about implementation. So I, I think this is unique. Well, I, this is probably like college gym bro thing. I'm just <laughs> going to do upper body because my legs, I, I know whenever I did like uh, squats or something, mm -hmm. um, like, man, that next workout on the bike totally suffers. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. But if I, I'm going to do, and I'm not going to even do very heavy or not heavy, but very, a lot of volume for upper body. Mm -hmm. I think I might do uh, like... I was thinking about doing deadlifts, but I also think that might be too much recovery time. I was going to do kettlebell swings instead because I really want that like like lower back kind of chain worked. Um, I think I, either would work, and I don't think either one of them, speaking from experience, will hinder you when you get on the bike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was just going to kind of go maybe like three on one off for upper body work or maybe two on one off. 
And you're um, talking days, right? Yep, two yep. days, yeah. And then just kind of try to put it farther away from my cycling workout. So sure. lift in the morning, cycle in the afternoon, or the opposite. Sure. Any, yeah, is that perfect? Sense. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we've discussed before. I mean, yeah. based on what happening happens way down at the cell level, you want to distance those as much as possible. So morning workouts and then evening workouts, if possible. Cool. Yeah, you can swing it. Good. That makes sense. Everyone's gonna see me ripped on this video. <laughs> so I think all three of us are doing. I mean, Ch Chad, you you regularly maintain obviously. Some sort of work. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Yeah, I've been. My goal is to be Chad size. I've been yeah. off the wagon, but yeah. Right. My girlfriend broke her arm, which means I don't have my lifting buddy anymore. So oh, it makes things a little tough. Yeah. So all, but all three of us here are going to be doing some sort of strength work. So I'm sure yeah, that we'll right. have once again some anecdotal examples yeah, exactly. of things going down the road. Um, I'm actually planning on in December on going out and spending some time with that strength coach. So oh, cool. if we get some interesting stuff out of that, it could be cool for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, it could be, could be good fun. Uh, let's go into the next question. This one is from Marissa. She says, I'm new to trainer road and have commenced the 40 K TT low volume specialty phase. Another time trialist. I have built quite a good base over the past few months. So went directly to this phase. Uh, now in Australia, the TT season is about to commence. So should I stick to the plan knowing that I'll be, I'll also be competing every second week in the TTs or in TTs for the next three months. Thanks. Um, I put this question in for, for two reasons. Um, the, the first one that I wanted to, to address here is the fact that she has three months of racing and she's already jumping into the specialty plan and it may not be. And she's mentioned that she's just starting out with, you know, trainer road. Yeah. Actually the structure of it kind of works because every other weekend there is a practice TT, which she would just slot her race into that. And she could actually, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's like an ideal fit. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a two month plan, so it's not going to stretch the whole three months, but I'm sure she can, you know, kind of wing one of those months. Um, my concern is that the specialty plan cultivates a very specific uh, fitness. So we're looking at extending stamina. So this, we're not really growing FTP anymore. So if your intention is to lift your FTP, you may get some mild bumps uh, through these practice TTs and some of those workouts, but that's not really the aim of this specialty phase. Mm. It's about in, improving your stamina at your FTP. So extending your time at your FTP, helping you be you know, a better time trialist, not so much improving FTP, which is what the the base and to a greater extent, the build phase is about. So mm -hmm. if you had extra time, I'd suggest diving into the build phase and then moving on to the specialty phase rather than diving right into specialty. And ideally, if you had more time, you would just start at the beginning with sweet spot base and ideally, build yeah, base, like build specialty. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so, and, and that's, that's a really good example. I feel like the TT plan, because TTs are so, uh, straightforward on what you want to do on race day in the sense that it's not as dynamic as something like cross, right. Or mountain biking or crit racing, or even road racing, but it's really straightforward. So that's really cool to think of the specialty favor phase. In that case, we're really just talking about making sure you can hold that FTP versus raising it up. That's yeah, a really good explanation of it. The different uh, intents behind them. And it's all like even the cross plan, right? I, I might get a little bu FTP buff from my cross plan, mm -hmm. but it's really about doing those repeated hard efforts. Yeah. Once, once you hit specialty training, we're not really chasing, uh, well, certainly performance improvements, but not necessarily yeah. increases in FTP anymore. And they might come. But it's not the... Yep, as a happy byproduct, but yeah. it's not the focus. Oh, honing your fitness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Say the marketing term. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The next, uh, the next thing that I wanted to bring in on this question uh, a bit selfishly here, all three of us are, we've talked about this before. We are going to do some TT or AT. 
maybe some TTs, but really one TT that really matters. We're going to have a showdown. I'm reading ahead of, us. of what you're going to say, and I <laughs> love this. So please <laughs> continue. So, so uh, we are going to be riding, uh, even if it is not. So locally, for some reason, our, our district is having a tough time coming up with somebody to manage the TTs, the state championship TT or district championships, I should say, because we're Northern Nevada and Northern California. I'll pay somebody. Yeah. This needs to be sanctioned. We'll get it worked <laughs> yeah. out. They have yeah. to have a district yeah. championship. Yeah. So How expensive could it be? Yeah. If anybody's asking, uh, or if anybody would, would know how to, to help out with that, just let us know, Dro- drop us a line. But uh, anyways, the course, it's, uh, actually a pretty well-known course for just being a district nationals TT course, because it's ideal in a lot of cases to be able to set a 40 K TT record, which I hate to burst all three of our bubbles. None of us are going to burst a 40 K TT record. Don't say never, man. It's a long <laughs> this way. It's pretty <laughs> unlikely. There's a lot of drugs we could do between now and now. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Yeah. So all of us though, it's, it's, it's a really flat course, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. it's 40 kilometers. So 20 four point I think eight miles Just something like that miles. and then you have 20 meters or 60 feet of elevation gain that's it so it's Perfect. pretty pan flat yeah. it runs north south on the western edge of a big valley that usually has predominant winds coming from the west so you actually tend to be more sheltered on that side from wind than the other side of the valley which is a nice spot and it also has pretty good surface. I actually just drove it a few weeks ago and it has a recent, uh, recent isn't like within the last year, it's been resurfaced. Yeah, the most distracting thing are the freeze cracks. So Tell me about that. They're just, they just kind of grind you down. They're super repetitious and- uh, What are they? Basically just cracks in the pavement due mm-hmm. to the compression expansion mm-hmm. of the asphalt itself. I'm definitely no engineer, but I right. have ridden that course enough times to know that it's pretty rhythmic and pretty distracting. So it's uh, it's at about 5,000 feet, just a little under, I think, um, 45 to five mm-hmm. in that region is where we're at. So it is, does get cold and it does get snow and that makes sense that it would crack oh, and develop yeah, those. Yeah. Um, is there, is that something that like affects your position? No, no, like I say, it's more of a distraction than anything. I'm not sure it has any real detrimental effect. It's just a little annoying. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I looked at, I weighed your, now, Disclaimers, this is where we're currently at and things will change moving forward as in wind tunnel time, equipment changes, position changes, and certainly, and hopefully fitness changes as well, right? Uh, we're going to be racing this in April around that time. That's usually when the the state champs are May, I should say, right? Mm, uh, it's usually June. Happen. June. First week me. of yeah, June. First week of June. So all of us, I, I took where we're at now. Uh, and I don't even have a bike, so I had to make an assumption there, but I took where we're at now. And then I built out with best bike split, kind of, a an estimation of where we'd be Nate, your current TT bike, which you won't be racing, uh, most likely is 20.8 pounds. Chad, yours is 20. Even you have the giant Trinity, Chad, uh, a Trinity, I think it's called. Yeah, yep. I think so. And then Nate, you have the S works, not no, S works, no. specialized shift, specialized the shift pro the, not the TT, the, but the shift. So the triathlon yep. one. So, and that's why you're getting a new bike, right? Because are we going to do legal stuff here? We'll see what happens. Okay. So anyways, with that in mind, I broke down our times based on our power to weight ratio and everything else. So if I, it's basically an hour long effort or close to it. So we're riding it like pretty much a one IF. So right there at our threshold is what we're hoping for, for around an hour. So if I was to ride at 290 Watts, uh, it would get me 28 miles an hour on that course average. And I would get there. I would finish the course in 53 minutes and seven seconds is what best bike split says. 
if Chad rode that course, uh, he would be at 300 Watts. If that's what he, he could maintain, it assumes best bikes. what it says that you should be able to maintain that with your current fitness, it would be 28.4 miles an hour. And that would get you 52 minutes, 31 seconds. Mm-hmm. And Nate, why'd you put 308, mm. 320. So if we, you'd be, Let's cover this. So Nate said that he was at about 320, or you were at 320 before your trip. Yeah. And then now you said that you were at, you well, I was just joking. pretty low. I was joking. So if you're at 320, then you're really blowing us out of the water. Yeah. But let's just assume, okay, because this is a good starting point. 308, uh, if just... you maintain 308, then 28.7 miles an hour would be your average, and you would be at 51.59. So who would who would be the fastest there? That's you. Who, me. 51.59. <laughs> in, in a fictional but scenario, you know, who would be the fastest? But no, this is a good thing. One thing that Best Black doesn't know is our um, aerodynamic drag, and my position yeah. is very tall for me to, like, it's, I'm horrible. You do enter your height, and that does I, make a difference. However, it doesn't, yeah. and you have a spot where you can enter in your drag. If you go to the wind tunnel, you can get your drag at all these different data points, and then you can enter it into Best Bike Split, and it will use that. But just in general with people, I, I know for, I have, I'm like, I'm tall, but I'm extra worse, I think, compared to people. And I think Chad is actually extra better, mm-hmm. like, than nor- a normal person. Um, yeah. So that's, that's going to be a huge factor. So in, in this one, this is a nearly pan flat TT for intents and purposes. It's, it's pretty darn close to it. So at that, what we're seeing here in this case is that weight is really not, a, it's not something that's going to be dragging you down compared to power output. Obviously, that's king. It's power to power aerodynamic to drag. Aerodynamics. Yeah. Yep. So this race, this arms race between us here yeah, is going to get down to that. I see what you wrote next is a sub 50 would require about a 350 average. Yes. That's my goal. That sounds about right. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm after as well. Yeah. So I looked at that and I basically ran the scenario for all three of us and our power to weight ratios actually are not far off for all three of us right now where we're currently at. Um, once again, I, I just adjusted the data based on an assumption for Nate, his power to weight ratio was higher beforehand. So, um, but with that said, 350 Watts, I don't think that I will get to that point. No, I have dude, you're gonna never be, seen it. You're too light. Yep. I've never seen 350 Watts average for an hour at all. Um, no, I think that's unrealistic for you. I think it's attainable for both Nate and me. Yep. So this is an interesting thing where time trials, this might be a situation where, man, like, I mean, not only definitely, I, I think that I've got, I, I'm going to be the underdog, so to speak against you guys. But in this case, this is a situation where if I was a cyclist and I was trying to look at where I could best apply my fitness, this might be a tough thing for me to do if I want to be really competitive no, I, with I mean, intense so athletes. It's, Talansky is a good example. Mm-hmm. Talansky's your size, national TT champion. Yes. You just got to get super aero. So all those people that are smaller, it's not, and he even said it, he is going faster than a lot of guys putting mm-hmm. on a lot more power than him. <clears throat> it is about folding yourself in a ball. And if we yep. spend, I don't know if we're going to, Chad, if we should spend money on John in the, t- in the wind tunnel or if you just take <laughs> pictures of us. But if we put you in a wind tunnel and you can fold yourself over and you're pretty flexible yeah. and you're not injured, mm-hmm. you can totally. I've been beaten by guys who are simply are more aerodynamic or smaller mm-hmm. who, who put out substantially less power. So this is a, that, that's a great point that aerodynamics and, and I, by nature, am more aerodynamic than you just by size, right? I'm smaller than you. But at the same time, you use the example of Talansky and let's, let's pay attention to that really quick. I'm not Andrew Talansky. You're not? Nope. Okay. Just to let you know. So as I mean, but you're talking about an athlete that really has has incredible work capacity and everything else and years of building up toward that. And and I'm not I once again, three hundred and fifty watts is out of range for me. So so this is um I, I if I can do like, you know, a fifty two, that would be fantastic. That would be a fast time for me. So I don't 
52 there for me. I don't think I can do that, but I we'll see. I think can. Yeah, I think you can. So it's going to be interesting, and hopefully we'll get a lot of insights on exactly what we'll be doing in terms of equipment and aerodynamics and training and all that stuff. And this will apply for triathletes, of course, and, and cyclists across the board. So uh, next one is from Eamon. Hey, guys, thanks for the podcast. He says, I have a question about CX Nationals. I live in Mill Valley in Marin and have been racing cyclocross for years for fun. Last season, I had pretty good results in the Bs, but I have zero USAC points because none of our local races in the barrier are sanctioned any longer. Uh, that's kind of a bummer. That's Way a bummer. Yeah. It says, given Nationals are in Reno, can you talk or can you guys talk about how to qualify if there are points or points requirements, if there will be fun races attached to the weekend, et cetera. Is it like road where I'd have to start in the highest category? I'm going to feel like a sandbagger if I start showing up and racing in the seas because I need points. I think a lot of the Bay Area CX scene is going to be in the same boat as I am. Um, so uh, anyways, uh, and then he says that he's coming to the Rafa event. So cool. that'd be cool. Good to see him. Uh just uh, one thing really quick on the sandbagging thing. I've like a uh, Dave Christensen, our filmmaker, incredibly strong road cyclist. He came and rode. Did he do the bees, uh, in a, that cyclocross race when he raced you or the C's? No, he did the bees with me. The bees. Yeah. And this is a guy that wins pretty much every local road race that we have. Like yeah. incredibly strong. Trial. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And at the cross race, he was way back. And it was, he was a fish out of water basically. So just because you may be in a higher category in another discipline, remember that cross is so unique. So don't feel bad about sandbagging. Uh, in fact, you might get beat by like a little kid or something, <laughs> somebody that you think shouldn't be beating you. So that's pretty normal. Uh, I went through and pulled the whole schedule qualification, the whole thing. So consider this our guide to go into qualifying for cross nats and all the information on it. So uh, the schedule for this year, it is in Reno, and uh, the schedule is going to be on Tuesday. There's the 23-plus non-championship racing. So that basically means that anybody can show up. You don't even have to have any qualifying points. You have to have a USAC license or a one-day license even you can do for that, for the non-championship races, which is kind of cool. Do you have to be in a certain category? Uh, they do. They are going to separate that, but I think they're just separating it by age is what it looks like. So anybody will be able to show up. And also with that, the only requirements are like typical USAC requirements on bike racing. So like helmets and that stuff, but you can bring a mountain bike. You could bring something else like that. You could bring a flat bar bike for the non So that's the fun races you was asking about that. Yep. So that's mm -hmm. the, it, do other nationals have that sort of thing? Yeah, they usually do. Uh, but it depends on the makeup of those races and the categories and everything else depends on obviously participation and signups. So I should sign up for that one early because it will probably sell out. Yes. Right. And if you are a championship racer, meaning that you are racing in the, you've, you're actually racing in the championship race, you can still race in the non-championship. Yeah. And there's enough time difference, right? Where you could actually race both Yeah, and recover. Right. Because on Wednesday it's collegiate nationals and then men's masters 60 plus on Thursday it's men's masters 30 through 59. So that would be your race day or our race day for all of us here. And then U23 non-championship racing. So that's when your kids could be racing that day mm -hmm. or, or anybody else that's under 23 for non-championship stuff. Friday it's women's masters all day. Saturday, it's the industry race, that one that you mentioned, Nate. Yep. Juniors, and these are championship races, remember, not and not the fun stuff. But uh, the industry not is not a championship. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> industry is a championship. Uh, then single speed, that's also on Saturday. And then Sunday is elites. So Chad, if I was, because those, those on the Tuesday, the non-championship ones are usually shorter too. Mm -hmm. If I was going to race nationals on Thursday, there's a Tuesday 30-minute like opener. It's perfect. 
right? I like that idea a lot. Get, mm-hmm. You gain course familiarity, you get a good hard workout in, go do maybe some openers the next day, and then yeah. you're ready to rip it. You really know the course, although it's going to change over the next couple of days, right? So that's yeah. that's going to be a big thing. Yeah, I so, mean, it will right because in Reno, uh, just I know where it's going to be, yeah. and you're going to have hundreds of people riding it. Yeah, for three days ahead of you. So yeah, let's let's true. cover that really quick. The course layout will not change. The only they they have variations like junior cutoffs. Mm-hmm. They have a couple pro or elite sections as well, um, or just pro sections, I believe. But it won't change from Tuesday to Sunday in terms of the layout. That said, we could have. I mean, we could have 12 degree weather, really cold. That's unlikely. It's probably more likely to be somewhere around the thirties to the fifties, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, fifties would be a warm day, but in January, sometimes we call it January here mm-hmm. because we've had 60 degree weather uh, for a week extended. Snow. Yeah. There's a high likelihood of mud. Yes. I, I predict mud. That's most probable. And the mud in that area tends to be clay. So it's, it's not, um, there's not a lot of sand in that region. It's a lot of clay. So what you'll get is spots where you'll be riding in and it'll be really thick and gummy. So this is a race where I would definitely consider having a spare bike because it's the type of mud that can get caught up in drivetrains mm-hmm. and pull a derailleur off. And uh, bring tire choices because if there's no yes. mud and it's just grass, it's a way different tire. Yeah, and if it's really cold, it could stay frozen. Yep. You're going to be riding on a, a, a very a variety of different surfaces. You're going to be riding on like bike paths that aren't paved. They're just going to be like, um, DG. yeah, like DG, like really firmly packed, uh, DG, which is decomposed granite. If anyone is wondering, and then there are other sections where it's like, really just like right now, if you're to look at it, it's got some weeds, but it's mostly dirt. And that's where Chunky it gets field. really clay. Like in that area, there's some straw in the fields, which should help with things. Then you'll just be riding through pure grass. There's a sand pit and they're bringing in a bunch of sand to that, to make it much more deep. Cause right now it's, it's. They would Rattable have to till it a lot. Sand, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then there are, there's a set of railroad tie steps. That's not very long. There is a set of concrete steps. That's also not very long. And I think you might touch onto a concrete bike path at one point for just a short period of the course. There's going to be some off cambers, uh, for the pros that you actually have a section that's really off camber and it's going to be tricky. And in most cases, because you're riding on something that's like a 30, probably 35 to 40 degree pitch, you're probably going to need to get off the bike and run on some of these spots. Um, just one set of barriers. It's just going to be one spot with two barriers. It looks like on the course, it's going to be uh, pretty, I mean, anyway, we're going to go through the whole course, no, no, but, but this is bring um, tires, bring this is a bike. guide to the event. And we yeah. do need to go through the course and, and cover the, the actual things that people will have. Cause this is national championships. So this was a basic race that we were doing. Yeah. Who cares? But this is national championships. People should know. So, um, so that's, you could have a situation, I guess that it's a, it's a typical course, nothing crazy. Cause I know a lot of people were wondering if it was going to be a crazy Reno course. Cause they had heard about the previous oh, yeah. event we had here. It's a typical course. So the I last time I rode this course, it was, it's going to be a little bit different, but I would call it a power course. They're going to change it. Do you think Jonathan, it's still a power course? Yeah, it does have like more elevation gain and more turns in it, less long straightaways. And it actually goes backwards from that course in, in certain areas. So, uh, there's no flyover too. That was another thing that they took out. Um, Good. they were thinking of it, but there's no flyover this year. So yeah, I, I still think it's going to be a, a power course and we're going to get into that at, an, at another point here, but uh, for qualification, I went through the qualification stuff. So have to be a U.S. citizen or have a green card if you're in a master's uh, category. Hmm. For some reason, USAC's rules just notes that with master's. I don't know if that applies to more. But anyways, if you're a permanent resident with a green card, you can race in master's, it says. You may be able to race in more. 
national champions don't have to qualify to defend their title. So you can just win it this year and then sit up on a, just on a lawn chair the whole year. Right. Um, elites, you have to have one UCI point or be in the top 90 of the pro cyclocross calendar in the U S. So that's basically every UCI race in the U S once again, that's elites. So that's pro level stuff. If you're not pro level and you're getting away from that, if, um, then you don't have to worry about that. So if you can't race master or you can't race masters and elites, you have to pick one or the other. And then amateurs do not need points to qualify. You can just show up and register for this race. You have to have a minimum license, like a cat three. You, it depends. Yeah. So they're going to have cat three racing to cat two and cat one. And that's it. So yeah. you can't. I saw the age groups were divided up or, or grouped together as one, two, threes. Now, does it matter though on the age group? Cause I think if you're like 60 or like seven or 80, you don't have to be. Yeah, I, I, think one, two, they, three. I think that they changed that for that. It wasn't noted at least on their stuff. So, yeah. cause they don't have like a full layout yet, but I assume that that's the case, but what you do have to know is that there is a call up procedure in place for everybody. So for elites, U 23, 17 to 18 juniors, defending national champ gets called up first, then UCI points holders in order get next, then USAC points holders get called up next. So that basically means you could be number one with USAC points amongst everybody. But if you don't have a single UCI point, then you'll still get called up after all the UCI riders. And you may even be faster than them, which would be kind of a bummer. Then after that, it's basically random. They just call people up. Uh, I don't know if they'll do that on registration order. They don't note. So if you're non-elite, you are a defending. So that same, means that's mo deal. most people, right? Yep. USAC riders. Yep. Defending national champ, same thing. US or UCI than USAC points. Um, so you could be non-elite and have UCI points. Technically, I think that they have that for a contingency where you might actually have raced a UCI event and have a point. That sounds like a kind sandbagger right there. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. <laughs> Non-championship order of USAC points, and then just random, and that's basically how how it goes. Um, equipment rules. We got that straight with things. So elites, U23 and 17 to 18 juniors, you can have a 33 millimeter max width tire and that's front and rear. And that's measured. That's not based off of what it says on your tire. So best way to do that is get calipers. What they'll be doing on race days, they're going to have a little block and they will not check everybody, but they might check some people. And then you could always get protested. If somebody is sad that they beat that you beat them, they could protest you and they can check to that then. So 33 millimeter max width has to be a cyclocross bike and no flat bars. I don't know how they determine that it's a cyclocross yeah, bike. Exactly. I think that <laughs> means weird. no mountain bikes. I think that's basically what they're getting at. No spiked or studded tires. And that goes for, for everybody. Uh, masters and collegiate, you can have a 35 millimeter max width tire, which actually opens up your tire choice dramatically. Cause there are a bunch of tires that are made in 35. Now that are really good. Um, then the same thing, the cyclocross, no flat bars in single speed, it obviously has to be a single speed and you can run 35 millimeter tires, but juniors 16 and younger and non-championship run what you run pretty much. You just can't have spikes or studded tires. I don't think you can have e-bikes too, but I'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> they should probably add that to their rules because yeah. it wasn't in there. Um, the last thing that I wanted to add for just a bit of detail on this one is that since some races start at 7:15 and then some races end at 4 PM, which is pretty much dark around that time, it could be really cold. Yeah. Like really cold in the mornings. Another the thing to know about Reno is where what's called a high desert. So you get really cold mornings and then it kind of warms up quickly. Mm -hmm. It's not somewhere else where there's like a 10 degree temperature change. So right. big swings, big swings. So the morning, like this morning, it was like 32 when I left my house mm -hmm. in November. And this is going to be three months later. And in the middle of the day, I think it's probably going to be 60. Yeah. 
So yeah. 30 degree temperature swift yep. change. Yeah, and that that might even happen on race day. Bring us. all your bring all your gear <laughs> yep. pretty much. Yep. And it will be cold in the evening too. Uh, they have a host hotel like right in downtown and it's really close to the venue too. So when they talk about, I think it's the silver legacy, that's a really good option to do. There are plenty of hotels close to it though. So that covers it. That's the guide to Nats. Uh, are you racing nationals, Nate? Uh, sure. Yeah. 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 And then the fun race, I don't, you're not going to do the championship one. Um, I mean, I could, but are you a cat three? You are, right? I, I'm not a cat three, but I think I'm like ranked one of the top people in Nevada right now. So I think I could. I don't know how, upgrade. but I just could be right like, I could be, yeah, I'm like cat four. I could get upgraded, but I could upgrade and just do the other race too. That's what I probably should do. I don't have a way to get more points this year, right. really, because I think the race schedule in Reno doesn't line up with my schedule, mm-hmm. but it's, I'll get so smoked. They'll pull me, right? Like I'm going to be against yeah, that's a good point. national mm-hmm. people that are way, way, way better than me. Yeah. And uh, I'm a couple laps in and then they're going to like get off. Yeah, so the fun race might be better. Yeah, exactly. I can actually have fun. Are you going to do the fun race, Chad? I'm not entirely sure. Cool. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I if it, I might, but I'm definitely not in a situation where I'm committing myself to it. I, I want to prioritize. Mean, I will do it as long as I'm not like broken bones, yeah. which I probably just jinx myself, but or sick. I mean, I'll, I'll do one of the races. That said, uh, I will be at the venue. I'm sure that we will uh, at different points in the week, checking things out and supporting some racers. Oh, yeah, certainly. I'll do fun race and... Industry. Industry. Not Boom. Two races. Two races. And then we also, uh, we're working with the event organizers. We might have some cool events. So if you are coming for cyclocross national championships, let us know. Just drop us a line, trainroad.com slash podcast. And then uh, we might get a head count and do something cool with yeah. uh, some people here. So it could be fun. Will be fun. Yeah, will be fun. Could be. (laughs) Let's go into Mike's question. Another cyclocross one. He says, I opened my cyclocross season this week and was riding very strong the first half of the race. I don't think I was over my head, but I faded quite a bit and lost over 10 spots the last half of the race. What can I, which actually is not out of the norm, by the way. So don't feel alone, Mike. What can I focus on in my training to improve the second half of my cyclocross races? Is there a specific workout you suggest? No, there's no specific workout, Mike. You simply have to get faster. And it's just a question of <clears throat> extending your fitness. So following a training plan, I'm not sure where you are in terms of uh, where your fitness is and where it can go. But the fact is, you're just not as fast as the fastest guys right now. Um, and, and in the case of mass start racing like this, it's really not up to you. I mean, if you want to go out with that lead group, stay with that lead group. You got to, you know, just fight, 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 hang in there as long as you can. If your fitness lasts, you know, if you're up to up to snuff, then you'll be there in the end. Otherwise, it's it's really just a question of getting faster. And that's a progressive thing. It's not, it's not one magic workout that's going to help you hang in there. It's really repeatability, right? That's what he's looking for because he could he could hang with them at the beginning, right? But he couldn't repeat his power. Yeah, for, that's what I'm thinking. Like uh, repeating all those surges, which the sure. cross. It, I mean, yes, our cross plans do it, but another time, I think this this is we just talked about this, but the specialty phase, rather than trying to grow that one minute all out mm-hmm. power, see how many times you can do your if your one minute is 400, how many times can you do that exactly. in a workout? So instead right. of five times, you can do it six times. And right. how close to them, how close can those efforts be stacked? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And That's a really key thing. You know, we, we've looked at, I, I, I sent out some, some, I guess, petitions for some data from some top athletes and looking at, at my own, 
we looked into which Just compare them. comparing them to see <laughs> how sad. bad I am. Yeah, <laughs> Some <exactly>. perspective. <laughs> I'm really bad. Um, but to look at that, I was I was trying to understand what type of variability index because that's so that's a we should define what that is. Your variability index is the difference between your normalized power and your average power, basically yep, the ratio. Mm-hmm. So in in the case of TTs, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, ideally it'd be like zero or 0. 1.001, 0. 1, yeah, yeah. something like 1.0. That. Well, that would be a big one. So we're just talking no, about no, 1.0 no, is 1.0. Oh yeah, yeah means, forgive me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 1.0 would be perfect. It would be zero variation between the two. But in this case, we see a lot more variation, obviously in cyclocross and people think that cyclocross is on, off, on, off. And it is to a certain extent. But in looking at the, some of the top athletes, we noticed that it's a little different than that. And then we'd even change the verbiage a bit. So there's a, a pretty well-known example of Ryan Trebone. He, he actually is managing the cyclocross series this year. Doesn't race anymore, but, um, really tall guy. I think he's six, six, four, four. Yes. Yeah, or maybe no, I think he's like six, seven. He's like really tall. Wow. The dude's really tall. He's a massive dude. And he has a race where he actually had a variability, variability index of 1.12. So what that means in terms of power, 365 was his average power and 410 was his normalized power. Big boy. Yeah. That is crazy. That's a big guy. That's like for an hour, right? Yes. That was a 60 minute race. Highly variable. So he ended up, I think it was, they said 120 times. Six, six. Yeah, six six. There we are, Nate. It's like just like you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but he ended up. I think it was 120 times getting up to twice his FTP, which I think worked out to be around 800 watts. Wow. In the race, 100. How many times? 120 times. That's that repeatability. Yep. Right. Exactly 120 times. Amazing. Get right? to 800. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 600. I've never. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty rough stuff. Right. So that's, and he actually has a style that's more variable yeah. than what we saw from, I asked Jeff Kabush what his power data has been. He said he races uniquely in the sense that, and this is the, the Kabush move is he basically sags the race. So he starts off and he actually, he jumps into the, like a, a conservative position, I would say. He doesn't try to be first, but he tries to be within sight of that league group or at the back of that league group. And then he just sits there. And when I say sit there, it's not like he's like sitting in, right? It's a lot of hard work, yeah. but he isn't trying to work his way forward until the end. And then he usually starts to pick it up. But he said that he paces much more steadily than most at cross Vegas, for example, and a cross race that he did at uh, Canadian national champs last week. He said his data was almost the same 310 average power, 340 normalized power is what he had for that. So that's actually less variable. It's 1.09 for his variability index. How big's Kabush? He is about six one, I think. And then in terms of his weight, I'm not sure, but he's probably not much more than 165 to 175 pounds, I would assume. Okay. So uh, he is a he's a stronger guy being a mountain biker. Now, Keegan Swenson, he actually is, a, he's a smaller rider. I asked him about a recent cross race. He said this one was really like, it was all on a hill. So the course was, you were either side hilling or going up or down. So it was pretty difficult in that sense. He had 308 average power and 343 normalized power for 1.1 for his variability index. I looked at my stuff. I'm 1.2 most of the time with cyclocross. Super variable. So very Super. variable. Mm-hmm. Way so, more than these guys. Yeah. I think what we're gleaning is that the, the lower level riders are, are basically on it or off, whereas the high level riders are on it and then less on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's basically that's, it. That's a lot of, uh, we'll talk about it with Matt, but that's all with your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Us lower level people were like hard and then we're like, oh good, a rest. crack. They were like, it's time <laughs> yeah. to rest. Or like, you think exactly. like, this is rest, I can't take the pain. Yeah. But the high people are like, no, it's it's on or on. And that's what <laughs> those, really when we talk about like those those billat sets, those, those mm-hmm. interval sets that have you, you jump up to threshold and then you pin it above threshold and then you're at threshold yeah. above threshold. And when we're saying above, we're at like 150% sometimes, sometimes even more. That's for be, us. It's right? all the weekend rides and the cross plans. Cause I've, yeah. I've done those. Yeah. Those are all, you, you basically work the, the high intensity efforts, 15 up to 30 seconds. You're at 120%, 125%, sometimes as high as 130%. But then when you back off, you only drop down to 88%. So you drop into sweet spot rather than into recovery territory, which is sweet. very race-like. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's anything but sweet. But that's, that's what makes me think of this kind of variability index, yeah. those kind of workouts. Yep. And if mm-hmm. you look at the average power on this, Keegan's, I know Keegan's FTP is higher than 308. It's usually around somewhere around 320. So this is like his average power represents like a sweet spot effort, right? And that's where I think yeah. a lot of these guys are settling in is to threshold the sweet spot. And then they're just, they, but they can just throw punches from start to finish. Yeah, and hard, I, hard punches too. Mm-hmm. When we did like cross Vegas, you know, Keegan was really close. Mm-hmm. And that's where my average power was. I mean, close to sweet spot. It was way low. My yeah. variable index was huge. Yeah. yeah, which he clarified on that, that he had some data issues with that one. Oh, he did? So, yeah. so yeah, oh. but it's the, this is a typical variability index, okay. but- Cross, I mean, Cross Vegas is a very consistent course. And I feel like all of us average folk, right? We need to, it would help us out to look at cross racing and think, don't, don't use the word off. And what I mean by that is, is just think of your race profile, try to smooth things out. Right. And if you try to smooth things out, I I guarantee you, you may not be as high up to lose 10 spots, but you might only lose two spots or you might not lose any, you might gain a few back. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one way that I think also with cyclocross, what I've found is if you have technical sections, which cross usually does, you manage those much more poorly when you're getting more fatigued every lap. And you can maintain so much more speed and momentum around the course if you're not fully out of it. So, well, Trebone might be a genetic freak, but Chad, isn't it true that people who go like spike, it's harder to repeat really, really anaerobic efforts than it would be if it was like a, you know, shorter at VO2 max. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, it's more aerobic in nature, so your muscles don't get as tired. Yeah, sure, it's more physiologically costly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why. Um, Mike might have been dropped because he was going so 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 hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and all yeah, that. he was just outpacing his capabilities. I mean, yeah. we've all been there. You go, <laughs> you go as long truth. as you can until you can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, get back to training. That's the truth. And, and w- one thing, all of that being said, we've talked about this before. It is very important to get a good start and in cyclocross because you'll get into a spot where you're Huge still going to be. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned, or you've noticed this, everyone listening to this has ridden in a group. And if you've had turns or anything else like that, or hills, you've noticed the yo-yo effect that happens in the back of a group. And it's totally there in cyclocross. You end up burning more matches. You may have burned a really big match to get into a good position in the mm-hmm. beginning, but maybe that will allow you, and this is something you have to weigh in your mind. Maybe that will allow you to, to burn less mass matches being with that front group that might be riding smoother. It's yep. and the guys at the front have cleaner lines. Yep. They don't they don't have as much traffic to work through and the the possibility of accidents occurring in front of them, et cetera. And on top of it, I mean if you consider you got someone who's 
has even capabilities with you and they're starting five riders back or five rows back and you're starting 12 rows back, they're moving at the same speed and there's this massive distance and somehow you're supposed to close that. It just doesn't work like that. Yep. Yeah. Because closing those gaps, remember, like if you're in a road race, a lot of the time you, you might not have as many efforts like this that are way high like that. So when you bridge, you know, you're, you're able to exp to put out that huge effort, but in cyclocross, when you bridge, uh -huh. that's a long, really hard effort amidst a bunch of really hard on, on a tight course with many riders, obstacles. Yeah. It's. And you don't get as big of an aerodynamic benefit like you would on the no, road. Certainly don't. The road you bridge and you go. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Can sit in. Yeah. And there's no downtime. Yeah. yeah, there's just no downtime. Not until the race is over. Uh, last thing I wanted to add to this, and I'm sure you felt this, Nate, because your your fitness was getting you know like close to peak fitness with that cyclocross plan. It is so much fun to show up at group rides or to do anything else like that when you have this type of fitness because oh, yeah. you are a total menace. Like you yeah. can just, you can make people's day terrible. Not popular. It's yeah. group ride fitness. Definitely to be able to just, cause it's, it's short, hard stuff, which group rides usually don't go up like 10 minute attacks. It's, right. It's like yeah. 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fun. So as long as you have the fitness to be able to hold in once they counter attack or anything else like that. Heck, even when they catch you, throw another attack and just counterattack yourself. And yeah. people will really not enjoy that. It was so. Earlier on, <laughs> we were doing a loop with some guys locally here. And we were doing like four counts or something. And uh, I was attacking every time. And it felt good. And uh, I had a good Breaking day. Breaking rules. <laughs> well, um, no, it was okay. It was supposed to be. It was oh, like okay, a, yeah. it was one we're supposed to attack each other. Yeah. But on the last loop, I said, is this the last one? And they said, no, Nate, there's one more. They lied to me uh, because they didn't want me to. I was like, <laughs> last one, I really wanted to go hard. But I figured it out. But it was just, you know, it's fun to be totally. a menace in a group ride. Not a menace. A, it's fun to be in um, it's just, where it's appropriate. Like this was a, this is supposed to be. It was a, it's an Audi team ride. So it's a hammer fest. It. Yeah, it's fun to It's fun to ride. have fitness. It's fun to have fitness. That's yeah, right. Yeah. If you're yeah. getting dropped every time, like there's another ride here called the drop ride. And before I've done it where, you know, you don't get, you can't hang in and it's less fun. Yeah. Oh, racing right? is a very different experience when you're mm -hmm. off the back as opposed to drilling it at the front. Yeah. yeah. Very different. Yeah. And when counterattacks fly and you're able to respond to those counterattacks, yeah. oh, you feel it like gets, Superman. It gets downright man. playful. I mean, it's yeah, actually, it it's more like a game than, than a suffer fest. And I wasn't even, the, I wasn't even the fastest in the group, but just being being able to attack. Totally. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cody's question. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast and trainer road. I'm starting my second time through a plan and already am seeing faster results. In November, I'll be participating in a 25 hours of frog hollow mountain bike race down in St. George, Utah. I'll be Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I've heard about, I've heard a ton about this race. A uh, good friend or friend of trainer road and podcast and everything else. Trainer road user, Eldon Nelson, uh, known as the fat cyclist. He and his wife have done it plenty of times too. It's a pretty well-known race down there. He says, I'll be part of a four man team. What is the best strategy for this type of race? And he says, example, should we be placing riders out on certain laps based on their strengths, nutrition? Should I be resting between each lap? And then he says, for reference, I usually participate in cross-country Olympic or cross-country marathon solo events, like most cross-country mountain bikers, and I'm really new to the whole team tactics thing. Thanks in advance for your advice. Then he says, P.S., you guys should look into doing True Grit down in St. George, which I, I am. I'm planning on doing that this year. We've got a – we have to convince Chad, mm -hmm. but I would love to have us do a four-man, 24-mountain bike race. 24 hours in Old Pueblo would be the ideal one. Exactly. So we'll have a whole, we'll be a lot better answering this question once we do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I want to take away um, before is that somebody told me, at least at Old Pueblo, you don't have to go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. At night, you can go one, two, one, two, and then three, four, three, four. Mm -hmm. So what that allows is for some people to sleep. Yep. And yep. you still get these at Old Pueblo, it's hour laps. And that will allow for like, you know, you get an hour off and then you get to go again. But having that 
that extra sleep. It could allow for different things too. You could have you know, big temperature differentials. So maybe certain riders are better in the heat. Certain riders need to be you know yeah. out there the later parts of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some people deal with riding in the dark better than others. That's certainly yeah. a skill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are also certain races will allow you, uh, any riders, you're not limited on order and you can have one rider do more laps continually. He could do two laps back to back. Like for example, at, at 24 hours in Old Pueblo, I think it's like a 15 mile loop roughly. So if somebody feels more comfortable putting out just longer steady state efforts, then maybe they go out and they do two laps. How many laps do they usually, does the other guy have to do? Like one? Like, does uh, everyone have to do at least one or? It depends. In some races, they actually don't, rec- you have to have like, somebody does one lap. And I think that they probably have to do at least one, I would assume. But yeah, it's beyond that. Some races don't require everybody to have even laps or alternate every lap, that sort of a thing. We need to have Keegan be our guy. We all just go Same once. Back. Like, Keegan, you go to the bathroom, <laughs> go once. We'll have Jonathan go when Keegan's not going. Yeah, yeah. Chad and I will sit there with our beers. Yeah. Good job, guys. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. I'll give you guys leg massages. 24 hours of drinking beer. Yeah. All right. As Nate said, I think that we'll have a lot of good advice on this eventually once we do this race, but we do have a lot of things that we can just uh, bring Yeah, we've up. actually, Jonathan and I took place in the, oh, yeah. took part in the Rockwell Relay a couple years ago. So we had a bit of experience in this realm. I've done like 36-hour yeah. running races as teams. And that, mm-hmm. that's why I want to fill this in because even, yeah, it's running and cycling, but there's a whole separate aspect to this sort of racing, which is relay racing that goes through the night. It's, it's a different game. Uh, it's, the cycling part is it needs to be there. You need to have the fitness. Sure. But there's a lot of strategy that goes into this. Quite a lot. Um, Chad, you know, so we did a road relay that goes from Moab to St. George across the whole state of Utah. And, but some things that we, we, I guess, learned from experience. Hmm. We had a motorhome, which was nice in this case because we could roll from one spot to the next. Everybody had beds. You had a kitchen, although we didn't use the kitchen. Um, Yeah, we didn't all have beds either. Yeah, that's true. We didn't all have beds. But I think that that's an ideal to a certain extent. However, one thing that we realized, and this is once again, a mountain bike, a 24-hour race, you're probably just staying in one spot. So tents could work, whatever else you want. But I noticed the comfort of having the van was where having the, the motorhome was a big improvement for a lot of people I saw just in a van trying to sleep on a, on, you know, a sideways seat, something like that. And they were all curled up. So I would say that your accommodations are going to depict a lot of your pace in the sense that if you're able to actually sleep and recover or relax, or you're sitting there and you're just to have like a, a chair sitting down out in the sun, it's going to make a huge difference. It's, uh, what I've done the the 36 or 24, I forget how long it was, but yeah. uh, running races, dude, the, the camper is a huge advantage over a van. So this mm-hmm. is one where you're moving again. It's huge. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I've been in, you'd be in a van for that many hours. That's like you, terrible. we had different vans. You'd stop, you'd sleep for like four hours at a time, but then it's, so but we then had to like, sleep. one year right. we checked into like a hotel for like four hours and that just takes extra time. If you have a yeah. camper, Ugh. you can do that. Sometimes people will just sleep on the side of the road. That's also like not as comfortable. Yeah, you're not going to sleep well on the side of the road. It's also harder with a, I mean, a huge thing about this is getting the nutrition in after you ride because you might not be hungry and then things happen. And if you're in a van, like uh, either one of those big white vans or we we had a suburban one year, it's hard to like pass the food around and the drinks and the coolers there and you're driving camper. Way to go. Like just 
plan so it. I would easier. just budget for a camper, renting a camper, if you're going to do one of these things. Yep. Unless you're college kids, then just do a van and yeah, rock it hard. It and yeah. With uh, one quick thing on lights uh, for mountain bike racing, when we're talking about lights. Make sure that the light on your you have a light on your head and a light on your bars if you can. Uh, if you can't have two lights, put a light on your head because that's the most important one where you want to see. But also put them at different intensity. If you have the one on top at full brightness and the one down low at full brightness, if their beams overlap, you lose all shadows on the trail. And it's almost like flat light when you ski and you get into this situation where you just lose definition on the trail and it can be tricky. So I usually run the light on my bars at a lower intensity, like medium, because I have three settings on my lights at medium. And then I run the top one at high. So then you still have some definition. It's a good tip. It's a good thing because otherwise you get into a spot, especially when you're delirious after racing for so long that Mm -hmm. uh, a rock may not look like a rock. Yeah. And you kind of got to pace for, for the multiple stages too. You can't just go out and hit one hard and expect the rest of it not to suffer the consequences of that. And that's exactly what both of us did. Jonathan, I think got his nutrition wrong and he bonked on one of the legs Mm -hmm. and the leg I did, I just simply went too hard to be able to do, I think we still had three more legs afterwards. So it just- Demile legs. Just went from bad to worse (laughs) because, (laughs) because it got a little overzealous on that first leg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We shouldn't have done it. I thought, oh, cool. Just, you know, 50 mile rides. I can recover after that nice and easy, you know? No, it was really hard. No. So did you guys, uh, were you really concerned about nutrition as soon as you got in? Because this seems like of all the times you use recovery shake, it should be, this is another Swanee, right? Yeah. Your other, as Jonathan gets in, shouldn't be Jonathan looking for his stuff. There should be Chad handing Jonathan. Actually, we should have had someone dedicated to that specific task rather than leave it on the, on the racers themselves. And that's what I think. I think that you should have, and this is all ideal, right? But have somebody that's dedicated to that instead of tasking it with the other racers, because as a racer, you should either be racing or you should be resting and taking in nutrition at all times when, yeah. when, when you're doing both of those, and you know, so this could just be, I mean, a significant other that wants to come down and party or like, like have fun and mm-hmm. could, experience could be your driver. You yeah. could have your driver. Multitask. I actually was. And then another year I did the running race. I was the driver mm. and I actually would, I would do that. I drive up and then I get things ready. But mm-hmm. a lot of people would be like, no, I don't need anything. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think is the correct. Yeah. Just nah. take it. Yeah. <laughs> this one though, wasn't as hard of a race. Cause there was a lot of people doing the. So, right. but it wasn't 50 miles each time. So, yeah, I, I, I think that cons- being conservative from the get go is the key with a race like that on pacing, on nutrition, everything else, meaning that, you know, instead of saying, no, I think I can go without that bottle right now, or I think I can go with it, just take it and, yeah. and, and plan ahead and yeah. make sure that you're, you're set up for early it. on. Yes. A hundred percent. So, um, I think at the, the best thing for a race like that with uh, frog hollow and where, where you'll be at is it's similar to old Pueblo. You're just going to have to, I guess, just be conservative and safe. Even though 24 hours in Old Pueblo isn't a really technical course, uh, Frog Hollow is a bit more technical in what you'll be dealing with. So just be safe, man. It can get tricky at, at, at midnight. Good luck. <laughs> uh, Peter says, in 2018, I'm targeting the 70.3 and full Ironman distance races held in Switzerland. Each of these has some fairly substantial climbs involved, accompanied by moderately technical descents. With that in mind, the workouts prescribed in the long course specialty plans, uh, and he says uh, polar bear, that's one of them that he mentions there. Polar bear in Gibraltar, yeah. Uh, what's polar bear like, Jeff? <clears throat> polar bear is uh, it's a two-hour ride where an hour 45 of it is spent between 80 and 85% FTP. So basically, okay. you know, the intensity level you'd expect most people to race a long course bike leg. And then uh, Gibraltar, similar? 90 minutes. Okay. So, so it's an hour and 45 minute workout, 15 and warm up, and then 90 minutes very steadily between that 80, 85% FTP. There we are. Uh, he says, 
He says that those don't seem really indicative of the pacing that he intends to do on the day. I disagree. And I assume that what he's, I assume the reason he's saying that is because of the climbs and the descents. He's probably assuming that it's going to be unique from a typical race. Mm -hmm. But if you were to plug this into something like best bikes, would to get ideal pacing or anything else, it will tell you that you should still be pacing yourself at this type of effort, because regardless of the terrain, you are going to have to maintain uh, that an effort that ideally is consistent from start to finish. Right. So, um, he says now bike split tells me that I should best bike split tells me that I should go relatively harder on the climbs and rest on the descents, which that obviously makes sense. He says, do you recommend simply following the plans as written or should I make some custom workouts that reflect the pacing demands of the race? And one quick thing on this, I wanted to throw this in because we had a lot of people with Ironman Chattanooga that with that one, the 70.3 race, that one had a lot of climbs and it had a lookout mountain, I think on it, a, a substantial climb. So a lot of people were worried about this too. If it basically broke the rules of typical Ironman pacing. So this is where we can jump in on it. I don't think so at all. And no, I, I, I mean, I did Ezra man and that had a huge climb and it was a, you, you, you know, you, it was a net elevation gain mm -hmm. and best bike split had me on that climb, like an extra 20 watts or 30 watts still in that same, like that you have a 5% ratio in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. It was still right in there. And, uh, sure yeah. you get a little bit of rest on the downhills, but I think if you train steady like that, you're, you're way more fit than on the race day when you get those little micro rests or even on descending rest where you get five minute descent or 10 minute descent. Yeah, exactly. It just makes it in your runs going to get set up. Great. Like it's a really steady effort. Um, it's not like a road race or like you got to climb anything at FTP that, right. you know, you're not doing any of that. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Says it. Yeah. Well, some things Coach that we, Nate. You're, you're not going to be that far from that 80, 85%. I mean, even the people mm -hmm. who aggressively pace these things might be closer to 90%, but still, you know, we're yeah. talking five, maybe 10% higher on the climbs. Right. And, oh, and right. even I, yeah, just don't do like, oh, it's right. You just do 20 minute intervals. No, do the 90. Like it's, it'll really help your race day and it'll help you run. Mm -hmm. Something that, uh, we've, this course, uh, the ones in Switzerland, as well as like Chattanooga and certain courses you have descending on there. And, one spot where I think that triathletes could gain a lot of time is in those descents. And it's not by tucking. I think <laughs> that's something that I you tuck, you just do air bars. Yeah, exactly. Zoom. You're in a tuck. Exactly time. right. And I, I think that a lot of people might get into a position where they feel like they need to get more arrow. So they're in their arrow bars, but they might try to hunch down even more or heaven forbid on your TT bike, get onto the top two. But if you're in that situation, you're trying to think about what you can do to get more aerodynamically efficient on a descent. Think about the energy costs that putting yourself into that more aerodynamic position might be costing you unless it is just, you're staying in your aero bars and that's where you're comfortable. But I see a lot of cyclists do that where they'll, you know, they're, they're jamming up the hills and they go down to the descent and they put themselves down into that super tuck. But to do that, they have to maintain a lot of tension in their body to be able to be stable on their bike and handle. That's a lot of tension. That's could be wasted energy that maybe if you just laid down a little lower, instead of getting on your top tube, you might be actually save more energy. You might be a little slower aerodynamically, but save I think especially if it's a technical descent like this, it's time to rest your neck and upper body. So get up on the, uh, on the hoods. Yeah. They, bull horns. Bull horns yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get on the bull horns and then be safe and ride down. And it's. I love descents where you like, you're going fast enough where you don't need to, you yeah. know, you, you'll hit 65, 70. If yeah. there's a turn, you'll die <laughs> if you're in aero bar. So yeah. just rest your neck. And then I always too, um, if it's not technical, I'll actually, it's a good time to like, as long as it's a straight and there's nothing there, stretch your neck, kind of roll it around, yep. move it down, go back and forth a little bit. Maybe mm -hmm. roll your shoulder. Saddle and stretch your hips a bit. Yeah. Roll yeah. your shoulders. Like all of this stuff, you're not 
losing as much as you would uh, while you're putting power out. Yeah, so these descents could be a good opportunity for you to kind of refill that gas tank of replenishment, so to speak, yeah. in, in more ways than one. So it's not necessarily a bad thing and it doesn't break the rules. And I say too, like, if you know there's a turn coming up, you can do that and it's going to automatically slow you down and you break it. Yeah. If it's just one flat zoom down, mm -hmm. then it probably would be a lot faster just being the arrow bars and yeah. just maintain. I, I totally agree your point. I wouldn't go any further in the tuck, right. just be in that position and go down it. Be okay with it. Yeah. And and I guess and just going back to that point one more time, uh, you know, triathletes have the reputation of being tentative by candlers, I'll say, right? A little um, bit. Right. So if that's the case and you know that you're going to go up and, and have a bunch of descents, you could probably gain a ton of time if you increase your familiarity and comfort level on descending on your TT bike, because a lot of people will be going down that with their brakes on when it isn't even needed. You could have brakes off, be relaxing, you know, like we talked about and kind of, you know, stretching out, doing whatever else you need to do because you're comfortable on your bike versus braking and, and just bleeding out time. And then also yeah. when you're braking like that, you're carrying a lot of tension because most of these bikes aren't disc brakes. So you're grabbing onto those really bad brakes as hard as you can. It's yeah, just a, a good opportunity. A, that's a key takeaway. So we're indoor training, but if you're doing a triathlon and there it's hilly, definitely go try to find some hills and, and descend on it because it's way different than a uh, road bike. A hundred percent. Correct. Uh, Grant says, hello. First, I want to say I love the podcast and can't wait for it every week. Five stars all the way around. Thank you, Grant. Thanks, Grant. Thank you. He says, my question relates to hydration. I usually have to do my workouts right before bed as this is the only time I have at the moment. My question is how to stay hydrated during the night so I do not wake up feeling completely dehydrated. IV. <laughs> <laughs> I try to train with plain water or lemon water <laughs> and save my scratch for longer rides or outdoor rides. Should I be incorporating something to keep me, keep me hydrated post-workout during the night? Uh, thanks, guys. Love what you do. This is tricky because mm -hmm. as a, getting an older gentleman... <laughs> Sometimes I do wake up in the night more than I did younger right. and I'm only 35. So, um, I can't imagine also, I like tend to hold water while I work out too. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards you like, you know, you go more afterwards. Right. I don't, Chad, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one. I mean, you got to consider you're going to be in bed anywhere, ideally from eight, nine, maybe even 10 hours if you have the luxury, but even eight hours, even seven hours, that's a long time to be without fluid, to be breathing. If you have a ceiling fan on, if you live in a particularly dry environment, all these things are going to dehydrate you to some extent. So ideally you're going to go to bed as hydrated as possible. And I think that the big misconception is that water hydrates and obviously water does hydrate, but it's retaining the water or actually absorbing the water through your intestine to, to actually make it into your bloodstream and into the muscles and, and whatnot. The need to be hydrated. So it's not just about pounding the water. Uh, you do that and basically you're just going to have to like what Nate just described, get up at some point and go to the bathroom and get back to bed. And then there's a big interruption in your sleep. So I consulted my you know typical go-to resource with all things hydration, which is Stacey Sims at Osmo Nutrition. And she... Um, clarified uh, as usual, the, the same deal. It's, it's, it's absorption of water. So if you couple that with a bit of glucose and a bit of sodium, not to be confused with sodium chloride, table salt, but actual sodium, because there's an issue when you ingest too much, much chloride, um, it, the, the absorption is, is that much better. It's, it gets, it, we're talking osmotic pressure and we don't need to go into any great depth of, of what that is so much as, uh, suffice it to say, or to make some specific recommendations, we're not talking about grabbing a bunch of uh, Gatorade and going to bed with a belly full of sugar either. Mm -hmm. So most of these drinks are oversaturated in terms of their uh, carbohydrate content. And I think most of them are in the six to 8% range, which mm -hmm. puts in like 30 to 40 grams of sugar. 
okay. which is not necessary in terms of hydrating, especially before bed. So what she recommends is something with a three to 4% solution. And that gives you roughly 20, 25 grams of carbohydrate in a 20 ounce bottle. Hmm. So, and that would be what you would use during the workout, right? Or so would dur- during the workout, post-workout, okay. it depends, you know, you know how, how heavily you sweat over the course of the workout, how dehydrated you feel prior to bed. So uh, I was thinking as you were reading that, there's like the products where there's the salt tablets. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's called salt stick. Yeah, she she advises against salt tablets because of the chloride chloride content. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So you need the sodium. The the chloride typically um, knocks things out of balance so the absorption doesn't take place. And then you can also have too much food or too much sodium, in which case the water actually is pulled um, into the gut where you get that sloshing and you're still dehydrated because it's not making it into the bloodstream. So that three to 4% solution, that very specific range per, you know, 20 ounce of, of, uh, water is, is highly specific and even more specific is she recommends 600 milligrams of sodium in a 16 to 20 ounce bottle. Okay. And I'm sure she has a product that does this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I'm, yeah. I don't need to, to, to pimp her wares, but she does have a product that does this. And right. it's, but I'm wondering if you could do the same thing with like Scratch or another product that, sure. that um, with just measuring, you know, because they're usually scoops. You could do it generically. Yeah. 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 You don't even have to use one of these right. specific products. The idea is just to not oversaturate it with sugar or sodium, it's certainly not sodium chloride. So in this case, Grant said that he, he saves Scratch for longer rides or outdoor rides. But this could be a good opportunity for him if he's doing these workouts before bed to actually use that during these workouts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing my, my wife does is she has like a liter bottle of um, water with a little like pipe thing on it. And I don't know how she does it, but every night she drinks the whole thing throughout the night. Yeah, I don't. She wakes up and drinks the water. I always crazy. set a water bottle next to my bed with the intention of doing exactly that, but it's too disruptive to my sleep. So it just sits there all night long. I don't know how yeah. she does it. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, and it wakes I, me up every time because it goes <laughs> <laughs> every time. I have a glass of water at my on my bedside table, and I drink some before I go to bed. But then when I get up in the morning, usually my rule is I you know I drink it then. But I don't wake up in the middle of the night. That would be tough. I, I've tried drinking like a whole bunch of a bottle right before bed. I always have to go and, yeah, and, then, and I always yeah. fight it, right? You yeah, wake yeah. up like 12 times. You're like, I don't need to go. I don't need to go. Well, and especially yeah. if you're doing a depletion ride and you, with the mm-hmm. intent of going to bed and sleeping low. The idea of taking in some sugar prior to bed just kind of flies in the face of what you're after. So you can pretty much count on being dehydrated in that case. Yeah. So I guess when, even without training, you wake up in a somewhat relatively dehydrated state, right? Um, That's why when you go to the bathroom in the morning, it's not clear. Right. 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 So, um, and then this is obviously in a situation, if this is when you have the time to train, then this is when you have the time to train. So that scratch that you have, uh, or whatever else, what other, you know, hydration mix, it's a good time to use it on those rides. So here's, here's the question. I don't think we know the answer. Hmm. It depends on his goals too, is he could be sleeping in that low state that we've talked about, or he low, could, What do you mean by low state? Low glycogen mean, in his mm-hmm. muscles. Right. I don't know if the 20 to 25 grams of carbohydrate could- It might not be that disruptive in that case. Exactly. So that the hydration may outweigh any of the, the downside of ingesting a little bit of sugar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm, is like the balance between that, being hydrated when you go to bed and maybe mm-hmm. improving your sleep quality. Sure. Then rather than sleeping low- And protein synthesis. I mean, that's tied to hydration as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So many trade-offs. What do you think consider. you would do, Chad? Um, I'm actually leaning toward doing this exactly, this three to four percent solution. Cool. Yeah. Yep. All right, everybody, that covers it for this week. Thank you for sending in your questions. You can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We hope to see you there if you are in the region at the live podcast recording this weekend at the Rafa Cycle Club in San Francisco. And if not, tune in live and we will talk to you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.